Well, every year we begin the year with a vision series to come back to who we are and why we exist as a church community in the middle of San Francisco. Our stated vision statement goes like this. We are a community following Jesus, seeking renewal in our city. And what we've been doing in this series is we're looking at that second part, the renewal part, the second part of that sentence, and we're kind of like double-clicking on that part, and the series has been focused on like how are we bringing renewal in our city? We've been asking ourselves, what does it look like for our church to seek renewal in our city? And what I want to do today in our last installment of our vision series is I want to talk about being a disciple of Jesus. The first part of, oh, put that back up real quick, sorry. The first part of that sentence, I want to talk about being a follower of Jesus, a community following Jesus, how that fits into the second part, renewal. Does that that make sense? How being a disciple of Jesus fits into bringing renewal in the city. So to do that, I want to start in what is called the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, as I had you turn your Bible there. A little context before we read this passage of Scripture. All the work of Christ up to this point in Matthew 28, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, has been done. He has called disciples. He has taught them His way. Jesus challenged the religious structure of His day which he thought was keeping people from God. He preached the availability of the kingdom of God through him, which is called the gospel. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He rose again for his vindication and our justification. And now he's about to leave again. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week when we get into Acts. And this is what he says to his disciples. He gathers his disciples and he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Now, you may have heard this passage of Scripture over a thousand times. You might know it. You might have it memorized. But I want to point out something uh, very uh, specifically. I want you to notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make Christians. Jesus didn't say that. Actually, Jesus never uses the word Christian. More than that, the Bible never defines the word Christian. It never calls someone to become a Christian. It never records anyone becoming a Christian. Jesus himself wasn't a Christian. He was Jewish. The word Christian is used in the New Testament, but only three times. And it's used to describe the Jesus followers when they were becoming too ethnically diverse to be regarded as a Jewish offshoot. They started calling them Christians, somewhat derogatorily, like a little, like imitators of Christ. Now, I don't think Christian is a bad word. I'm not trying to strike it from our vocabulary, still use it. I think it's a great word. What I'm trying to do is challenge your thinking around this a bit. What is the difference between being a Christian and being a disciple? What's the significance of Jesus saying, go and make disciples, not go and make Christians? In other words, how is a disciple of Jesus different from being a Christian? Now, let me ask you this. If I were to ask you, are you a Christian? And this isn't a trick question. And you would have said, yes, I'm a Christian. I would ask you, what does that mean to you? What does it mean that you're a Christian? And typically from that point forward, you might say things 
that you believe. Like you might say, I'm a Christian because I believe that Jesus is the only way to God, or I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, or I believe that I'm going to heaven when I die, or I believe I should go to church occasionally with other people that are Christians. So for many people, to be a Christian means to believe the right things about the gospel as like a minimum requirement to be in or to be saved, or to be a Christian, or to go to heaven, etc. So there's a line that's drawn, like, are you a Christian? I've crossed over this line because I believe Jesus is the only way to God. Or I crossed over this line because I believe in Jesus for my salvation. Like, there's this, this thing, this, like, minimum requirement that you make, and it's usually in, in the area of, like a, um, like, a propositional statement or a propositional truth. Now, to be a disciple of Jesus, it, or actually to be a disciple of anyone, is an entirely different thing because you start from a completely different place. What is a disciple? Dallas Willard, the late philosophy professor at USC, says it like this. What is a disciple? A good working definition of a disciple, he says, or an apprentice, is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. So sit with that for a second. Now here's the thing. Everyone is a disciple of someone. You are someone's disciple. You learned how to live from someone else. Humans are the kind of creatures that have to learn and keep learning from others on how to live. This is a picture of my daughter Juniper and I FaceTiming, sticking her tongues out. So I stick my tongue out and then she sticks her tongue out and we're doing these things over FaceTime. Now, she learned that sticking her tongue out from us and telling her that thing you're sticking out is called a tongue. And so we'd say, where's your tongue? And she sticks out her tongue. Okay, this is how we learn. Some experts in this sort of thing call it mimicking. Humans mimic, that's how we learn. But it's basically discipleship. Now, many of us like to think that we are an autonomous self, but that's simply not true. More than likely, you are the disciple of several somebodies, and, who, and those people are very likely shaped you in ways that you are not even aware of, ways that are probably, maybe, far off from being what is best for you, or you being coherent and holistic. This discipleship started in what we call our family of origin. We've, we've done some teaching on this. We learn how to connect with our, from our family of origin on how to act and react. Our families live on our bones. Then what we are disciples, when we get older, a little bit older, we're disciples of our teachers and our peers. Some of the most potent discipleship comes from these relationships, relationships in grade school and middle school and high school with our teachers or our coaches or our peers. And they taught us what was good. They often taught us how to navigate reality. But when we get into our 20s and beyond, we, we actually become a different kind of disciple. We become disciples of what we call in our culture currently, we become disciples of influencers. These are people, and this is not new, we just have a name for it now on, on social media, we call them influencers. They're, they're typically glamorous and powerful people that shape us. And in a digital age, this is prolific. Influencers can come from anywhere. They can be gamers or founders or sports people or just people who are interesting. What influencers have in common, whether it's on IG or professors or artists or founders, they always convey to us a strong impression of what life as a whole is about. So influencers say, life is about beauty, or life is about success, 
or life is about experience, or life is about fun, or life is about enjoyment, or life is about hustle, or life is about knowledge. In studying for this sermon, I was thinking about the influencers that I follow on social media, and I follow this indoor plant influencer. That's a thing. (laughs) And this influencer teaches me what the good life is about. It's about a perfect fiddle-leaf fig tree. It's like, that's what life is about. And that's the standard of beauty of indoor plants, this person's, this person's fiddle leaf. And then I look at it, I'm like, my, my fiddle leaf looks nothing like that. My life sucks. This guy's life is amazing. <laughs> Crushing his fiddle game, that sort of thing, right? This is what influencers do, right? Okay, that might be silly, but listen. Willard says this. One of the major transitions of life is to recognize who has taught us, mastered us, and then to evaluate the results in us of their teaching. This is a harrowing task, and sometimes we just can't face it. But it can also open the door to choose other masters, possibly better masters, and one master above all. Willard would have you ask, what kind of person are you becoming? This is a very hard introspective question. Maybe you weren't ready to face this question on church on a Sunday morning. Are you becoming the kind of person that you want to age into? Are you becoming patient and deep and thoughtful or peaceful, wise, content, compassionate, involved, forgiving? What kind of person are you becoming? Okay, so take the kind of person you're becoming and then back from that, those are really penetrating questions, but correlating that with your teachers and your influencers currently. There is a correlation between who you're becoming and who you're a disciple of. Okay, so back to Jesus. When Jesus says to his first disciples, go and make more disciples, the assumption of this endeavor was for these first disciples to find people who would live their lives as Jesus's apprentices or his students, and that these people would find Jesus so admirable in every respect, so they would find Jesus wise and beautiful and powerful and good, that they would constantly seek to be in his presence and be guided, instructed, and helped by him in every aspect of their lives. And Jesus would ultimately be their influencer, teacher, their instructor. So, what is a disciple of Jesus? A disciple of Jesus is someone who is with Jesus in order to become like Jesus and capable of doing what Jesus did. That's the definition of a disciple, and it's completely different than the definition of being a Christian. A lot of times, you and I entered into Christianity because someone told us we were going to hell, and we're like, I don't want to go there. Well, then become a Christian. Great. And that's usually what it is for a lot, not all of us, but a lot of us. Instead, do you find Jesus so compelling, so beautiful, so powerful, so wise, so good that you want to be like him? Yeah, I want, then you become a follower of Jesus, and thus you become a Christian. See, this definition has to do with becoming so intrigued with Jesus that you want to be with him and become like him. And what I'm finding, for the most part, is that people outside the church are typically more intrigued with Jesus than people I know inside the church. I'm finding this all over when I'm in the city. I I just met this last week. A person I was reading um, in a, a, I was somewhere in the city, I was reading Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, and it was just there, open, and I'm on my laptop, and I'm studying. And this person walks up, and she grabs my book. She's like, what is this book? I'm like, oh, Divine Conspiracy, it's by, you know, I was explaining the book. She's like, it like called to me, and there's some, I even grabbed, 
I'm like, oh, interesting. What, she, what is it about? I'm like, it's about the way of Jesus. She's like, oh, really? <laughs> well, I am. And it was, it was really good. It was beautiful. She's like, I'm a Buddhist healer. And I, I like Jesus. I loved, I, I think Jesus is so intriguing. I'm like, yeah. And so I explained the book. This is actually a book about the way of Jesus as contrasted to like Christianity, as we would say. She's like, yes, that's, and I'm finding that she's so, she was so, we talked a little bit about Jesus, so intrigued by who Jesus is. Okay, so here is the million dollar question. This is so important. What is Jesus good at that we want to be good at? Have you ever even thought about that question? What is Jesus good at that I want to be like him and be good at? A lot of us go to Jesus because like, no, I'm a bad person. Jesus hopefully makes me a better person. Or I'm a bad person going to hell and Jesus keeps me from hell. But that's not the essence. That is a byproduct, but that's not the essence of what a disciple is. A disciple is, you're good at something and I want to learn how to be good at that. And so I'm going to follow you. When I think of influencers I follow, there's something about them that I want to be like. If being a disciple is wanting to be with someone in order to be like them and capable of doing what they did, what is it that makes Jesus so alluring? What was Jesus good at? Answer. Jesus was good at living in the kingdom and the presence of God. We call this ultimate reality. And he applies that kingdom reality for the good of others and even makes it possible for them to enter it themselves. I want you to sit with that for a minute. What was Jesus really, really good at? He was good at living in the reality of the kingdom of God. He was really good at living in the reality of the presence of God. He was really good at living into ultimate reality. He was good at not getting caught up in all the other BS stuff that we make life about. He was about the real life, real humanity, real life lived in the kingdom of God. And then he takes that and he applies it to these broken places everywhere he goes, people that are living far away from the kingdom of God. And he challenges people that say they know about the kingdom of God, but are keeping people from the kingdom of God. And he challenges those people. He was really good at living in the kingdom of God. And he was really good at making it possible for people who are way, way outside of the kingdom of God to enter into the kingdom of God. People that they were the furthest away, he would go out of their way to go, no, the kingdom of God is more near to you than you, than you think. And it's more available than you think through me. So come follow me. This is what Jesus is really good at. Now, turn to Acts chapter 10. It's to the right of your Bible. We're going to get there next week. We start Acts next week. But um, I can't, and I can't wait to get to this, um, this chapter, but it's going to be a few weeks, so I'm just going to skip ahead a bit. This is Acts chapter 10. This is the first official presentation of the gospel to the Gentiles. So here's how Peter describes who Jesus was to a people who had a scant religious context of the Messiah, like a very little context of who the Messiah was. This is how Peter explains who Jesus was. He says, God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is how Peter describes who Jesus was. He was the Messiah, the anointed one. He was empowered by the Spirit. And he went around the world, and he ran around his world, doing good and healing people who were under the sway and the power of the devil, releasing and freeing people from Satan's power because God was with him. So 
That's who Jesus was. And to be a disciple of Jesus, to be an apprentice of Jesus, means I'm with him learning how to do that. That's what a disciple of Jesus means. That's way different than being a Christian. Being a Christian is I believe that Jesus is my Savior. Yes, that is a part of it. But a disciple of Jesus is I'm with him, Jesus, learning how to do this, being filled with the Spirit and going around doing good and healing people who are under the power of the devil. That's what I, I'm doing, what he's doing. That's what I'm learning how to do. Now, let's grab the idea of renewal and pull it into this conversation. Renewal is the good and healing that Jesus brings. Renewal is, this is what we've been talking about the last three weeks. Renewal is the good and the healing that Jesus brings. By being Jesus' apprentices, we are learning from Jesus how to live in God's kingdom, in God's presence, ultimate reality, in order that we apply the kingdom of God for the good of others everywhere we go and make it possible for them to enter it themselves. The difference between that and being a Christian is a lot, and I hope you see that. And I also hope that you're a little startled. I hope you're listening to me thinking, wait, what the what? This is way more demand, that what you just said, pastor, is way more demanding of my whole life than just believing a, a list of propositional truths. I can easily check the box of propositional truths, just a mental like, do you believe Jesus is the only way? Yes. I mean, I have questions, but sure, yeah. Do you believe that Jesus is the, uh, the way in heaven? Yeah, yeah, I believe that. Do you believe that you are a sinner? Yeah, I can get there. Yeah, I believe that. That's way different than going, I'm following him, becoming like him. I am intensely following him, and his whole life is going to be my whole life. That's that demands, actually feels like that part demands my whole entire life. And that it does demand your whole life. That, spoiler alert, it does, okay? Mark chapter 8, this is how Jesus describes discipleship. Whoever wants to be my disciple, not a Christian, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Notice that being a disciple is a two-way street. Jesus does call disciples. I believe he's calling everyone in this room. If you let go of your past, ditch your bad teachers and follow him. He wants you to follow him. But you also have to want it. Whoever wants to be my disciple. There are people that I met in the church that at a certain point in time, they're like, I don't want to be Jesus' disciple anymore. I don't even know what to do with that. But there it has to be some part of you desiring it. You wanting to be his disciple. I, want, I believe that you and your way are like the way to live and I want to be your disciple. And the entry point at that point is denial of self. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want you to lose yourself. Quite the opposite. He wants you to find yourself. He knows that the only way that you find yourself is by being his disciple. So he can teach you how to live in God's reality, in God's kingdom, and in God's presence. Okay, what, what that all was, being a disciple of Jesus is the what of what we're doing. It's, okay, so basically what I just shared is part one of my sermon. It's the longest part, just calm down. That's the what, okay? This is what we're doing here. It's the what of Christianity. It's the what of reality of San Francisco. It's ultimately the what of our lives. What is it? Discipleship to Jesus. That's the what. Now let's talk about the how. How then? are you an apprentice to Jesus? How are you a disciple of Jesus? And we say this, how is this? To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That is what we're doing. 
That's how we're doing it. That's how we're becoming apprentices of Jesus. Now, let me just break these out really quick. These are all review, but I think are really important to readdress every single year as a vision, part of our vision series. First, being with Jesus. This means that you are learning from Jesus by being with Jesus. This is cultivating intimacy with God. This is learning to enjoy Him. This is learning to enjoy Jesus' presence, His words, His people, etc. This is like something you want, like I want to be with Him. The way that we do this, if you're curious, is by studying the life of Christ as told in the Gospels. Meditating on his life and his teachings, taking in the teachings of Jesus, thinking about the teachings of Jesus, and creatively starting to live by the teachings of Jesus. Knowing Jesus also means intimacy with Jesus. This is this mystical, beautiful thing that happens in private prayer or worship at church or in a spiritual conversation with someone or in a spiritual retreat when Jesus feels really close, where there's intimacy. This is with. I want to be with Jesus. When Jesus calls his disciples, he says he calls those whom he wanted that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Withness. This is like the beginning of discipleship. Just being with Jesus in prayer and meditation and silence, like that sort of thing. The second thing is becoming like him. This means that you, and the best way to become like Jesus is that you engage in the practices of, that Jesus himself practiced to be close with God. Okay? So this means you are engaging in the ways and the practices that he himself practiced, learning how to live from him. So there, are, there were ways that Jesus lived. There are practices and rhythms of grace that Jesus entered into. And as followers of Jesus, we enter into those same rhythms. What are these practices? What are these rhythms? Well, silence and solitude is one of them. Jesus was always kind of peeling away to be alone with, with God. He was just always alone. He was sitting in silence. This is like the way, of, the way of Jesus. And so we build into our rhythms of our lives ways that we peel away lunchtime, in the morning, in the evening, when the kids are down and we have like... 15 minutes alone that we don't open up email, that we're just like, let's just sit, and I want to be with Jesus. I want to practice this. The second thing he would go away and do is pray. When Jesus got alone, he just wasn't alone to like check his phone. He was alone to be intimate with the Father, connection with the Father through prayer. Both of these practices can be done um, in like a weekly Sabbath rhythm. This is a really good way to like bring this into your life, weekly Sabbath. Um, the third thing that we see Jesus doing is he, he lived a very simple and sacrificial life. Jesus lived a simple life as not to be distracted from the main thing in life. Simplicity, you might call it minimalism today, right? It's simple living. This is how Jesus lived. Uh, the third thing, or fourth thing is a study and meditation on God's word and God's way. He was so, Jesus was immersed in the story world of God through the scriptures, that when he walked through his own world, he knew how to speak to it prophetically. There is no other way to live the God life than to immerse ourselves in the word of God as a model, as a guide, as vision and measure of the good and happy life. What is that? It's, and we get that as just bathing ourselves in the scriptures. And the last thing is that we notice from Jesus' life, service to others, especially the poor and marginalized. This is Jesus' practice. He would practice this all the time, or he would live this way all the time. Now, here's the thing. No one here at this church is asking you to try to be like Jesus. You will not hear us say, hey, you should try to be like Jesus. 
You can't try to be like Jesus. We train to be like Jesus. We develop the habits of being that we could respond in ways that are like Christ, in line with His way, His will, His word. Like we have to train for these things. We have to get this stuff into our bodies. And it only happens by training. That's the only way it happens. Practices are important because you don't accidentally become like Jesus. You will not accidentally become like Jesus. You and I must, we have to participate and train. This is, again, if, if some of our minds are kind of short-circuiting right now, like, wait, this sounds like, this sounds a lot different than like me knowing I'm a sinner and then me coming forward to be saved and then it's all good. This sounds like a whole different thing that's a lot harder. And if you read the, the Gospels, it is a lot, not harder, because we'll, we'll end there, it is a lot more involved. That there is a point where you say, I need Jesus. From that point on, then you follow him. Lastly, do what Jesus did. This, now let me explain what this means. This means, this means that, well, I'll say what it doesn't mean. It is not, does not mean that you are learning how to do everything Jesus did. I'm not asking you to learn carpentry or to walk on water or to be a Jewish man who is also the Messiah. That is not what we're asking you to do, Okay. That's not what Christianity or the way of Jesus asks of us. What we learn is how to do everything I do in a manner in which Christ did everything he did. Does that make sense? So I do everything I do in my life the way Jesus did everything in his life. Dependency on, on the Father, full of the Spirit, connected with God, living in the reality of God's kingdom. I do everything I do as a founder, as a parent, as a whatever I am. I learn how to do it the way Jesus did. Which means you're learning how to live your life, not his life. You, he already lived his life, and it was a beautiful life, and it was a good life, but it's been led, it's finished, it's not to be lived again. The invitation is for you to, leave, to lead your life, to live your life as if he were you, as if he was you in San Francisco now in whatever kind of occupation you live and whatever your life stages, to live your life as if you were, he were you. Now, to, the, to this end, our church has created spaces in our church and tools to help people do this in our church, practice their apprenticeship to Jesus over and over again. Sundays are a part of that. That's why you're here. CGs, community groups are a part of that. Spiritual practice cards that are on our info table are a part of that. Service and leadership are a part of that. Today, I want to introduce you to one more experience we are adding to helping you become students of the way of Jesus. We are calling them discipleship courses, and they start next week. Discipleship courses will deepen your discipleship to Jesus through thought and practice. We are hoping these courses become short-term catalytic experiences for our community in order to interact with the Bible and discern God's truth, experience growth and transformation by the Holy Spirit, learn practical skills and life and apprenticeship to Jesus, and develop meaningful relationships with other believers. That sort of paradigm there is basically a take on our theory of change that we taught on last year, which we believe we change into pe people like Jesus by truth, by practicing, by community, and by the Spirit. That's basically what these disciple courses are aiming to do. They're sh the short like classes or courses to help you do that.
So that we'll have core courses and then concentration courses. The core courses we're, uh, that we're offering, we want every member of our church to go through. If you're here for two, three years or whatever, or you're here for a lifetime, we want every single person in our church to go through these courses. These core courses consist of topics like biblical literacy, basics of theology, emotionally healthy spirituality, discerning God's calling and spiritual practices, things like that. Concentration courses are like our current finance class or premarital class, plus others we'll be adding as we go through uh, like race and gospel and other focused studies. So we are offering both core classes and concentration classes or core courses and concentration courses. These courses launch next week, and we hope that everyone in our church will take advantage of being part of training for Christ-likeness, not just trying, but training. This is one of the biggest reasons we went to two gatherings. Okay, we talked about the, the, the what. The what is discipleship to Jesus. That's the point. The how is being with him, becoming like him, doing the stuff Jesus did. What about the why? Simon Sinek has a very popular TED talk where he describes what he calls the golden circle. Have you ever heard of this? In this talk, he says that any company or movement or cause will have three concentric circles. The outer circle will be the what of whatever the company, the mission, um, the what, movement, whatever, the what. The smaller circle will be the how do we do the what. Most people and organizations will know the what and the how, but very few will know the innermost circle, which he calls the golden circle, which is the why. Why? Our what is making disciples of Jesus. Our how is learning to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. But what about the why? Why? Why is there an apprenticeship to Jesus like this? Why is it important to not just to be a Christian by checking off propositional truths, but being a disciple of Jesus? Why? Willard says it this way. Here's the why. There is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. There is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. Greed, fear, racism, injustice, sexual assault, neglect, suffering, addiction, rejection, violence, grief, apathy, war, death, there are so many problems in our life that technology will not solve, that education will not solve, that money will never solve, that religion will never solve. But there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. This is the way Jesus says it. Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites a certain kind of person to himself. People who have been under the tyranny of other teachers and are exhausted, who are having a hard time of it, for whom life is hard work and feel overwhelmed. We sometimes use the word addicted, who are addicted to alcohol or addicted to work or addicted to sex or addicted to fame or whatever it is. Like the thing that you're after isn't working for you anymore and it's a burden. 
You are weary. You are tired. And the promise is not only will Jesus save you, but he will refresh you. And but here's the thing. Here's what's so beautiful. Keep that text up on the screen for this entire time. This is what's so counterintuitive. When Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, you would think the next sentence would be an invitation to a hammock or a vacation. (laughs) A nap or some self-care. But what he offers weary and burdened people is a yoke. A yoke is a work instrument. Why in the world would Jesus do that? He doesn't already know I'm tired and burdened and weary. He's giving me a work instrument. Why is Jesus doing that? Because Jesus knows the most restful gift he can give to tired people is a new way to go through life. A fresh way to take on your responsibilities. And this way of life is learned. Learned. Do you see that, that, next, that next verse? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. See, Jesus doesn't say, come in and, get, and I'm going to zap you. I'll give you a hit, a shot of vitamin B for your soul. He doesn't do that. That is not the invitation. I know that makes for some really great preaching and really good second set worship, but that is not what he's inviting you into. He says, come to me and be my disciple. Take my yoke on you, my teaching, my way, the way that I work, the way that I live, and learn from me. Learn how to live from me. That's the only way you're going to find rest for your souls. Why does Jesus say this? Because there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. And that is how we get to renewal. The only way renewal happens in San Francisco is, I believe, through apprentices apprentices of Jesus, disciples of the way of Jesus, who have learned to throw off the teachers and the yoke and the burden of the city's rhythms, of the city's burdens, of the city's ways, and take on the teachings of Jesus. And then through renewal ourselves, we bring renewal. We host renewal. We impart renewal. And we free people by God's power from the power of the devil. This is what we're allowed to do and called into, which expands our whole idea of what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. Let's stand and pray. This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.